This is Lady Tiffany Ma, and this is My Mind Emporium. Welcome to my podcast, everybody. I hope you guys are having a lovely Taco Tuesday. I just got some tacos from Tindrum, and they were, like, slapping. Yes, I got an Asian-flavored taco, which that's always good because I like the wonton tacos at Applebee's. So, I mean, but this one was, it was so freaking good. I had to talk about it, okay? And then I had the matcha milk tea strawberry. It's so good. This is good. <laughs> Today's choice was the best choice, okay? Today's choice was the best choice. I've never in my life ate something that made me this happy. But it broke the piggy bank, um, so I'm going to have to find uh, some pennies for my piggy bank. Yeah. Um, so today's topic is going to be about Daniel Embo and Richard Patron Jr. And um, I'm, I'm going to talk about that case because that case is scary too. But I'm also going to talk about this couple that went missing at Coachella. Um, but before we get into today's topic, I want to talk about some breaking news that just broke as we spoke today. Um, this is from the Daily Beast and it's, it's written by William Bretterman. What you do in the dark does come to light, okay? You may have your home skill of biscuit with cheese on the side in office, but if you're doing some foul stuff, it does come to light. It says, pandemic hero Andrew Cuomo finally resigns in disgrace. The fallout over months of sexual harassment allegations and nursing home deaths finally failed the once fearsome governor. And the reason they call him uh, the pandemic hero is because he kept New York on lockdown to get the numbers down. Um, so he did his job. He did what he was supposed to do as a leader of New York. Unfortunately, he has a dirty little secret. In one of the most dramatic political downfalls in recent memory, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo announced to Tuesday that he is resigning his office amid a welter of allegations of sexual harassment and misconduct. The decision came a little more than a year after Cuomo emerges as the face of supposedly rational Democratic decision-making amid ex-President Donald Trump boggling response to the COVID-19 pandemic and just one week after State Attorney General Letitia James released a devastating report that found the governor had subjected 11 women to unwanted comments and touching. There was no period to be found. Now I see what they're saying when they say this is a run-on sentence. Come on, y'all. Where was the periods? Come on. Anyway, back to this case. Um, back to the story. I think that's giving this given the circumstances, the best way I can help now is if I step aside and let government get back to governing, and therefore that's what I'll do. Cuomo said Tuesday, adding that his resignation will be effective in 14 days. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, whom Cuomo described as smart and competent, will take over his position, becoming the first female governor in New York state history. New York tough means New York loving, and I love New York, and I love you. And everything I've ever done has been motivated by that love, Cuomo says. 
And defending himself on Tuesday, Cuomo insisted he never thought he crossed the line with anyone and didn't realize the extent to which the line has been drawn, despite most of the allegations taking place in the wake of the Me Too movement. The governor also blamed his woes on Twitter, lamenting that it became the public square for policy debate. The AG report came months after an initial cascade of allegations and images from women about the powerful three term democratic abusive demeaning and sexist behavior including most seriously and then anonymous accusation that he groped an executive assistant in the governor's mansion in albany yeah the state's most powerful elected officials urged him to resign including senator majority leader chuck schumer and senator christian gillibrand yet cuomo surprised many national observers though few in new york by attempting to ride the crisis claiming to be a victim of cancer culture and urging lawmakers to await the outcome of the attorney general investigation. For a short time, the scandal receded, but then James reported dropped. It's not only substantiated the woman's account, but revealed fresh information, including that the governor had suggesting touched it and taunted a state trooper he had moved to his personal security detail. The attorney general concluded that the governor has harassed a total of 11 women and had violated workplace conduct statute statutes he had personally signed into law. Wow, what a hypocrite. State legislators scramble into impeachment proceedings even as Cuomo simultaneously deny and defend his behavior. But the governor's defense showed plain sight of collapsing. President Joe Biden, the House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi, called on him to resign. While his attorney offered flailing claims his due process rights were being violated. Multiple district attorneys, along with the Albany Sheriff's Office, began prying into the Attorney General report for evidence of criminal activity by the state highest executives. His top aide and competent, Melissa DeRosa, resigned, and Brittany Comiso, the assistant who had asserted the governor and molested her in his mansion, dropped her anonymity and came forward with further allegations that demanded Cuomo be held accountable. So is she saying that this happened when she was underage? Because molested means you touched uh, a child. You're a grown woman's growth. I'm just asking. Um, I'm not going to read the rest of this. If you want to see, go find this um, on Daily Beast. And I'm pretty sure there's other articles out there that's talking about this um, whole situation. The scenes are being busted, honey. The seams are being bursted. Mm -hmm. Y'all be doing pedophilic stuff and don't think it's going to come back to get you. It's going to come back to get you. All right, okay? Your karma is going to be held to you, okay? So we have... Some more stories I like to talk about. Today, I don't know why I'm pausing like this, but there's a lot of stories I want to talk about. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is from BallerAlert.com. It's contributor. Is pistol whipped you? And it says, oh my goodness, I 
hate when stuff does that. It says a Nebraska man recorded getting trapped in the elevator with neck deep flood waters. Saturday evening, Tony Lou and his two friends got into what they thought would be a typical elevator ride, but it was everything but that. The three nearly drowned as the water flooded the elevator, rising to their necks. The incident happened inside a downtown Omaha apartment elevator and it was caught on tape. The group of friends were on their way to observe the damage or the ongoing hail and flash floods, the New York Post reported. But they found themselves stuck in it on the apartment ground floor when water engulfed the lobby. Once it got to my stomach, we kind of figured, okay, this is real, Lou told ABC News. It was something out of a movie. Video footage showed the elevator jolting and water rushing in from below and then the door closed. Luckily, as the water nearly submerged them, Lou's friend was able to make a call to emergency service to help them. However, they were able to force the elevator door open before help arrived and escaped. <sighs> y'all, I don't know if y'all know this, and I kind of blame my great-grandmama for this, but I cannot stand elevators. I hate elevators. If you want to get me to pee on myself, I'm not telling you to do it, but I'm just saying, just let something happen in the elevator. I have watched too many movies where weird stuff happened in elevators. I have watched too many movies where things happen in the elevator. I don't like elevators. I don't even like when elevators just pause. I hate elevators, okay? I don't know what I would have done. God bless them. They got out. They saved their lives. I would have been a main fool screaming. <laughs> Because I cannot stand when stuff happens in elevators. I hate it. My big thing I hate is being in an elevator with a weirdo. I hate that. I hate when I'm in an elevator. I like being in an elevator either with family or by myself. And if I'm in an elevator by myself, you best believe I have my cell phone ready to text someone if it don't stop and it moves too slow. I hate, I can't imagine. That's awful. Oh, my God. All right. So, this next, granted, I have this sexy idea about an elevator because of a movie I watched. I'm sorry, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, This next story comes from It's On Site, and its contributor is Shady Porter. It says, Quentin Tarantino, I have kept childhood promises that mom doesn't get one penny for my success. Oh, honey, you got mommy issues, and it's very obvious in your personality, honey. Girl? I don't like calling him a steam director because I feel like he's an asshole. Director Quentin Tarantino revealed that he has never given his mom gifts or, or any of his fortune all because of a promise made when he was a little boy and she was unsupportive of his screenplay writing hobby. Tarantino told the Moment Podcast that he would get in trouble in school for writing movies instead of doing homework. His mom was frustrated with him and told him this little writing career that you're doing, that shit is over. Ooh. I go, okay, lady, when I become a successful writer, you will never see one penny from my success. There will be no house for you, no vacation for you, no Elvis Cadillac for mommy. You get nothing because you said that. And then talk to your first <laughs> Oh, my God. And with the exceptions of apparently helping her out with an IRS issue once, he has kept the promise. He told a podcast host, Brian Copeland, that he has not bought her anything because of that conversation 46 years ago. 
The filmmaker is worth it reportedly $120 million. Don't die before she do, nigga. <laughs> don't die before your mama do, bitch. Please don't. Um, let me say this. I'm going to say this. It does suck when you have parents that don't support you. Now, I wouldn't know about that because my mom has supported me. But I think he misunderstood what she was saying. She didn't believe that you could make money off that, okay? It's a, a one in a million chance of you getting to where you want to go. So I get what his mom was trying to say, but he took it personal. He's being petty. Grow the fuck up, Quentin Tarantino. You too ugly to be acting like that, friend. Yeah, I said it. You too fucking ugly to be acting like that. This next story is from HollywoodUnlocked.com. Um, Y'all know Simone Biles. Um, she's had a tough break this um, Summer Olympics. God bless her. Um, you know, she wasn't able to perform. Um, and so she revealed the reason why she was not able to perform. Um, so my thoughts and prayers go out to her. Um, the contributor to the story is Keisha Gale, and it says Simon Bile, I mean Simone Biles revealed her aunt died unexpectedly during the Olympics. As we previously reported, Simone Biles returned to the Olympics after a week off due to mental health and concerns. Take home a bronze medal on the balance meet on Tuesday. During a press conference afterward, the 24-year-old superstar opened up to reporters and talked about the loss of her aunt and her father's side. At the end of the day, people don't understand what we go through, she says Riles. Two days ago, I woke up and my aunt unexpectedly passed and it wasn't any easier being here at the Olympics game. She wants to say people have to realize that at the end of the day, we're human, we're not just entertainers, she added. There are things going on behind the scenes that people have no idea about. Um, so yeah, it's, that's kind of, that's tough. Um, it's hard to perform when you, uh, when things like that happen unexpectedly, you know? So God bless her. God keep her. God protect her. Um, I, I hope she gets the healing that she needs from this. Cause you know, things like this happen, you know, it's supposed to be the moment for life and then bad news happen. That's how life happens. It's not just that it's not just her. It happens to everybody. You know, you be having a good moment and you turn around and something crazy happens. So, yeah. Um, y'all. So, um, yesterday, once again, I had a family group chat. We have a family group chat, honey. Okay. We talk to each other. My mom's an educator. My cousin's an educator. They all work in the school system. And my cousin has, uh, three kids, well, two kids now. There are still in the school system. One's in high school was in middle school um we got we we were talking um in a text message and they were talking about cases of the steven getting worse um and it scared me because i'm already trying to figure out i wish i had saved up a hundred thousand dollars because now i want like i want to rv i just want to live, live secludedly by myself at this point because this this has went from something that it was slowing down to where it has gotten worse. And people don't think that it has. People think that it's because of people who are not getting vaccinated. But, I mean, 10 years from now, we'll figure this out. I'll come back here at 40 years old on my podcast and talk about it. We're going to figure out the real true tea about why this case is getting worse. 
um, yesterday I told you about the new variant, uh, Lambda. Um, so today I want to talk to you about how the, um, the, the Stephen crisis is going in Georgia and it's not going too well. Um, I got this from V103, um, Atlanta, and this, it came from Midday with Ramona. And it says, ICU and ERs in crisis. Dr. Warren said Georgia healthcare system is maxed out. Across Georgia, many intensive care units and emergency departments are overwhelmed by the COVID-19 surge driven by the Delta variant. Many ICUs are out of it, out if room for more patients, which is creating backups in emergency rooms. Now, this is why back when I forgot when it was, but I'm pretty sure it was like 10 years ago when they put on the ballot to build more hospitals. Y'all need to be building more hospitals. So they don't have a room for all these patients. This is getting bad. If diagnosed with the Stephen, it is recommended to find a hospital that offers a monoclonal antibody infusion, which can greatly improve outcome for those who become infected. Wow. Okay. So y'all stay safe. Please stay safe. Be careful. Build your immune system. Do what you got to do to take care of yourself. All right. And next news with ridiculousness. I ain't going to use the R word because y'all love using the R word to describe stuff, but it, it does come off a little bit R-y. Um, this comes from HollywoodUnlocked.com and this contributor is Deja Monet. It says, athlete Marcin Urbis demands sprinter Christine MOBA take gender tests for running too fast. Girl, he should get the shit slapped out of him. Former Polish athlete Marcin Urbis is demanding Namibian sprinter Christine Moba should undergo a gender test after winning a silver medal for the 20-meter sprint. Moba won the silver medal on August 2nd in Tokyo after placing second next to Jamaica Elaine Thomas-Hira who won the gold at a time of 21.53 seconds. Despite Thomas Hera being 0.28 seconds faster than MOBA, Urbis tried to criticize the 19-year-old sprinter and wondered why she was faster than him due to her age. Uh, excuse you! She's 19, so she's supposed to be faster than you. She's smaller than you. She's a woman. This smells like jealousy. Anyway, I would like to request a thorough test on Moba to find out if she definitely is a woman, he said, despite his inquiry. Moba was barred from competing in races between 400 meter and 1,000 meter due to her high testosterone level. Okay, that is suspicious, but it could be in the food sheet. Okay, because y'all love putting hormones in foods and y'all love doing tests test on uh african people you know with this stuff you know i ain't gonna say the v word but i'm just saying you're a piece of shit marcine um that will conclude today's news if i find some more news y'all know i'm gonna post it on my instagram lady underscore tiffany ma 
Daniel Emba and Richard Patron Jr. And I messed up and said they then went missing at Coachella. Let me tell the true story. Today, I'm going to tell you the real true tea about what happened to those two. Then I'm going to tell you about the couple that did go missing at Coachella. Um, So sit back and relax. Get you some popcorn. This it's about to be a double feature because your girl got stories confused. Okay. What happened was I was looking at Kendall Ray on YouTube and I think these stories just ran together and I don't know what I'm talking about. So I please forgive me to both the families of, to both the families of both couples. Um, I didn't mean to do that. That was not my intention. Um, like I said, if I'm wrong, I'm going to tell you I'm wrong and I deeply apologize and come back because I want to be as credible as possible. I don't like spreading lies. I don't like spreading rumors, even though we come on here and say allegedly and word on the street, which means that, you know, it's a rumor. But I just made a, a big mistake, a cardinal mistake of these couples. Okay, both couples are have been, been missing um, when one has been missing longer than the other. So we're, I'm going to tell you the story, the story about what happened to Daniel Emba and Richard Patron. And then I'm going to tell you the true story about what happened to the couple at Coachella. So, um, here's the story. Okay. Oh, this is the story. Um, and which story I mixed it up with. So I would say this is tricky Tuesday for me because it got tricky for me. So. Yeah. The story, I hate when I queue it up and then the screen goes black. <laughs> it's like, girl, this story I got from Ranker.com. It was written by Jim Rowley and it was updated March 12th, 2021. It says, Daniel Emba and Richard Patron both disappeared without a trace. Here's what we know. Says on the night of Friday, of February 19th, 2005, on again, off again, couple Daniel Emba and Richard Patron left a South Philadelphia bar and were never seen again. This case is both interesting and unusual because police have found almost no evidence of what happened to them. Both the family's investigators now believe that Emba and Patron are deceased. The complete lack of evidence has even led the FBI to speculate that they may have been targets of a professional hit. Daniel's estranged husband, Danielle's estranged husband, has been questioned but never considered a suspect. In fact, investigators never have never have never named a formal suspect in the case. Although several theories have been proposed, the case remains cold, and the family are still searching for closure. Here's everything we know about what happened to Daniel Emma and Richard Patron. Daniel Emba and Richard Patron were dating, but their relationship was on hold for Emba's divorce. So, in other words, uh, Daniel Emba and Richard Patron were having kind of a low-key affair, allegedly. Because they're not here to defend themselves, so I'm going to say allegedly. Um, at the time of their disappearance, 2005 disappearance, oh, why did I say that? At the time of their 2005 disappearance, Richard Patron, 35, was living in Pennsylvania and working at his parents' bakery. 
J-O-M-B-A, 34, worked from home for a mortgage, mortgage company and was the lead singer of a New Jersey rock band. Both were single parents. Richard's daughter was 14 at the time, and Daniel's son was one years old. The two were family friends who had been dating as teenagers before they began an on-and-off-again relationship as adults. At the time, Danielle was married to her husband, Joe Emba, but they were estranged, and Danielle was in the process of separating from him. On the night of Saturday, February 19th, 2005, Emba and Patron met with friends with Albaline's Friends at Albaline's on South Philadelphia Tex-Mex restaurant that has since closed. Patron's friend, Anthony Valentino, and his wife, Michelle McLaughlin, joined Emba and Patron at the restaurant. They later told investigators that Emba and Patron appeared to be having a good time. They were sitting close together, smiling and kissing throughout this evening. They were even overheard making plans for the next day. At about 11.45 p.m., Emba and Patron left for Abilene's. Patron was going to drive Emba to her condo in the Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and then return to his home. This would be the last time anyone saw them. Emba family realized she was missing the next day when she failed to pick up her son. Emba's family first noticed something was amiss when Emba failed to show up for her hair appointment on Saturday morning at 11 a.m. However, panic day truly set in within 3 p.m. when her father, Joseph, when her husband, I'm sorry, when her husband, Joseph, arrived at the condo to drop off their son, little Joe, and Emma was absent. Her brother, Joe October, later said she would have missed that no way. She wouldn't have missed that in no way. Police usually wait 48 hours to begin a missing person search, but the family started immediately. That night, October and Patron's father, Richard Patron Sr., began searching for the missing couple and combed the streets of Philadelphia until the next morning. Friends and volunteers convinced the neighbors for 100 miles in every direction, distributing pictures of Patron's truck. At one point, October even paid a Camden police officer $1,200 to take him up in a helicopter and try to locate the truck. None of these efforts produced any leads. No physical evidence has been found since the disappearance. So that means they have not found any evidence even after 17 years, I mean, 16 years later. They still have not found any evidence to what happened to the two, which is crazy. And at this point, like after 16 years, they could possibly be deceased. One of the most unusual aspects of Ember Patron's disappearance is that there is particularly no evidence to indicate what may happen to them. This is not, no known crime scene, and police weren't able to find any clues about either their whereabouts or their fate, not at Abilene's or anywhere else. Since the couple's disappearance, both of their cell phones have remained powered off, and neither of them have access to their bank accounts or use their credit cards or easy passes. Police weren't even able to locate Patron's truck in 2001, a black Dodge Dakota with a NASCAR decal and the license plate YFH2319. Police searched waterways and dug up fields looking for leads, but nothing, but found nothing. The police, the police it conducted an exhaustive investigation into Emba and Patron's disappearance. Even after following hundreds of leads and thousands of tip calls, as well as scoring the Delaware River and nearby fields, they still have, haven't found any traces of Emba, Patron, or Patron's truck. The almost complete lack of evidence seemed to rule out that this was a random incident. 
It's unlikely, based on law enforcement experience, that it was a simple crime of opportunity, said FBI agent J.J. Claver. It also seems unlikely, although not impossible, that one person acting alone could pull this off so successfully. This is weird. Um, and in the back of my head, I am taking note of what's taught, what they're talking about, and what they're saying in the the, the, the article. Um, and and the only thing I could think of is alien abduction. I'm not being funny. I'm serious because it's like they have no evidence. But then once again, you know, her ex husband. And everybody in town knew they were messing with each other. I'm just saying. Let me continue with this article. The FBI believed the two were targeted of a professional hit. The FBI is no longer treating the couple disappearing as a missing person case. The lack of evidence have instead led investigators to conclude that it was the work of a professional. This didn't just happen. We feel this was an orchestrated act, said the FBI Christian Zagzak in 2015. A 3,000-pound truck and two people do not simply go missing. The Ember and Patron family both believe that Ember and Patron are deceased and were possibly slain. They're still trying to determine who might be responsible and why. Ember's brother, John Otobre, said your emotions run wild. You could sit there and speculate until you're blue in the face and make yourself crazy. But we don't have any leads in either family. Ember's husband threatened Patron in the past and his lie detector test was inconclusive. Girl... Didn't I say that? I said that. I said the only suspect I could think of was the husband. Was Daniel's husband. As is often the case in the missing person investigation, police have considered Emma's estranged husband as a suspect and the FBI has questioned John, uh, Joe Emma many times. According to Patron Sr., his son told him prior to his disappearance that he received several threatening phone calls from Joe Patron. From Joe. Patron Sr. told Action News Philadelphia, he said, I got like 25 or 30 phone calls from the kid. I said, what did he want? He kept telling me, stay away from her, leave her alone. He's her husband. Mm-mm. For his part, Joe had a rock-solid alibi for the night in question. And Joe has cooperated with authorities, even took a lie detector test, but the results were inconclusive. Now, inconclusive means that they're not sure if it was a lie or not. It does not necessarily mean that he lied and he lied about what happened to his wife. It just means that, you know, they didn't have any solid evidence there and they can't really arrest him on an inconclusive test. You know, a lie detector test is just a test and that's just that. Um... You can't go based off of a lie detector test. Um, so yeah. Emma's husband has a strong alibi for the night of Emma and Patron's disappearance. Despite many people's suspicion toward him, Joe Emma does have an explanation for his whereabouts on the night of February 19th, 2005. He was at a child's birthday party 50 miles away where his stepfather, a former NYPD officer, and several active police officers were also presented and can vouch for him. Joe has never formally been declared a suspect, according to the FBI special agent in charge of the investigation, Vito Roselli. There isn't enough evidence to take Joe Emba into custody, but he hasn't been ruled out either. 
as of 2015, Joe Ember and their son, Little Joe, are living in South Carolina. Just to think, this boy was one years old when his mom disappeared. He's now like 17, 16, 17 years old. So he has basically went his whole life without his mother. Theories about the couple disappearance abound. Special Agent Roselli admitted that a professional hit is just one possible explanation for Ember and Patron's disappearance. Several alternative theories have been proposed. One theory claimed that Ember and Patron suffered a mishap and drove into the water in Patron's truck. However, the FBI doesn't find this explanation credible. Both because their search of the waterways turned up nothing and because the route Patron likely would have taken from South Philadelphia to Mount Laurel make this scenario unlikely. Another theory is that the Ember and Patron had decided to run off together and start a new life. Their family find it unlikely that they would both abandon their children. However, a third theory proposed that Patron was slain over gambling debt. His family denied that he was a gambler. However, my son didn't put a quarter in the slot machine, said Patron's mother, March Patron. He despised gambling. Overall, authorities find these theories less convincing. After 10 years, there's not a lot new to report, FBI Special Agent J.J. Claver said. Some people suggest Patron was involved with the gang. Another theory proposed that Ember and Patron's disappearance was related to Patron's alleged ties to substance or organized crime. In 2016, a former Philadelphia doctor named William J. O'Brien was sentenced to 30 years in prison for unlawful distribution of controlled substance resulting in fatality as well as other charges related to the operation of a pill mill. O'Brien was charged along with nine members of the Pagan Motorcycle Club, an outlaw group known for aggression and moving illicit substances. These nine co-defendants were accused of working with O'Brien to illegally distribute Oxycontin, Methadone, Percocet, and Danex. They all plead guilty. During the O'Brien investigation, the FBI pursued a possible link between Patron and the Pagans. Special Agent Vito Roselli inter interrogated Pagan member Patrick Tracy. Asked him about a double slaying, but Tracy denied everything. Patron family denied he has ties to organized crime. So what happened? Girl. My goodness. Okay. Let me continue. Despite their missing loved ones, the Ember and Patron family are at odds. Although the Ember and Patron family were friends for about 20 years before the couple's disappearance, and although they initially worked together to locate their missing loved ones, they have since stopped speaking. Marjorie Patron said the friendship went south right away due to disagreement and opinion over what happened to Ember and Patron. As of 2015, the families are at odds. John Tobre refused to speculate about a possible culprit in the hopes that the family might one day reconcile. Neither investigators nor the family have given up. The search for Ember and Patron continued in February 2015. On the 10th anniversary of their disappearance, the FBI added the case to their cold cases initiative, which means more time and resources will be committed to the investigations. Families are still searching for closure despite their belief that Ember and Patron are no longer alive. Patron mother says two innocent people for no reason were slain. I just want justice for that. This is I want justice for that. Sorry. John Ottobre compared the experience with standing in the middle of an undisturbed snowfield. That's what the investigation is like, he said. We can go in any direction at all because there are no tracks and markers. 
Nothing has ever failed to guide us. The FBI is offering a $50,000 reward for information on the couple's disappearance. Anyone with information is urged to call the Philadelphia Citizen Crime Commission tip line at 215-546-TIPS, which is 215-546-8477. Now, that concludes this case. Honey... If the husband didn't do it, and if the man was not involved in any organized crime, what could have happened to this couple? I can't I can't even think of what could have happened to this couple. But the couple, because we had a thing where I was talking about this lady had went missing at Coachella. Apparently, I say this twice. Um, now, they found people in this situation. I cannot give y'all answers to this. Um, but if y'all do know any information about what happened to Daniel Emba and Richard Pachon Jr., please let authorities know. I gave that information. I gave the number. If you have to repeat the part where I gave the number for the TIPS hotline in Philadelphia... Please let them know what happened. You know, the family deserve closure. Um, it's bad when you don't know where somebody is at and you can't find them. I've never been in a situation to where somebody went missing, but it scares me that the person I love in my life never comes home and I've never seen them again. That scares me. Um, but the case that I thought this was, I want to talk about this second case. Both cases are important, which is why I'm doing both cases. But this second case right here is just strange. I found this at KESQ.com. It was published December 11, 2020. Um, and it says six accused in the murders of a Coachella Valley couple appeared in court. Okay. A judge today set a spring court court date for a hearing that would determine whether five men and one woman accused of involvement in the murder of a Coachella Valley couple who vanished more than three years ago will be ordered to stand trial. Manuel Rios, Erica Rios, Jesus Ruiz Jr., Abraham Fergero Grosso, and Aaron Fernando, Aaron Fernando Bernal, and Adeline Inez Castaneda, all previously plead not guilty to charges stemming from the murders of Andre Marin Morin, 26, and Jonathan Reynoso, 28, who disappeared on May 10th, 2017. Four of the defendants are accused in the killing, with two others are accused of being accessories of the fact. All six defendants appeared Friday at the Riverside Hall of Justice before Riverside County Superior Court Judge Samuel Diaz who scheduled a preliminary hearing for April 9th. At that proceeding, prosecutors will present evidence that the judge will weigh to decide whether a trial is warranted. 
The Riverside County Sheriff's Department announced in October that the skeletal remains discovered on a specific location in the Coachella Valley months prior had been positively identified as those of Moran and Reynoso. It's a match. It's a match for Jonathan. Recall Reynoso's mother in a post on Facebook describing her conversation with the investigator. The six defendants were arrested and subsequently charged over the summer in connection with the couple slaying following a three-year investigation that included more than 50 search warrants and hundreds of interviews, according to the sheriff, Chad Bianco. Bianco said in June that the victims were known to their alleged killer but would not commit further, comment further. Back in 2018, News Channel 3, I-Team investigator John White went to Coachella home where neighbors at the time said Bernal lived then lived then calling him Moran's ex-boyfriend. Search warrant revealed authorities were looking for Bernal's car and found it burning the field in thermal just days after the couple disappeared in an apparent arson fire. Manuel Rios, 28, of Coachella is charged with two counts of murder. Fergoso, 32, of Indio, Bernal, 28 of Indio and Castaneda, 28 of Coachella, are charged with one count each of murder and are being, are being accessory to a crime after the fact. Those four defendants who all remain jailed without bail but also facing a special circumstance allegation of killing the witness of a crime which could make them eligible for death penalty if prosecutor opts to pursue, pursue it. Riverside County District Attorney Mike Hestron confirmed that witness was Andre Moran. Ruiz 42, who's arrested in the Stockton, but has spent most of his time in Coachella Valley, and Eric Rios, 31, of Coachella, are each charged with two counts of being an accessory to a crime after the fact. Both men remain behind bars in lieu of a $500,000 bond. Bail, I mean. Marin was last heard from when she left the home to pick up Reynoso, who may have been returning to Coachella Valley from the Brawley area the day the couple went missing according to investigators. Mora said she was get, going to give Reynoso a ride to his home, but the SUV she drove was found parked on the side of the Interstate 10 in Beaumont two days after the pair were last heard from. A police bloodhound detected their scent near the SUV, but their trail disappeared about 50 feet from the vehicle, authorities said. So this is a couple I thought, and once again, it has nothing to do with the festival Coachella. But for some reason, I thought it did. But this was a couple that I found and I saw. And I was like, that's the couple I was talking about. And I'm mistaken for the first couple that we're talking about, which was Danielle and Richard. Um, but they found the people that had something to do with their murder, which is a good thing, which is six people. Maybe the fact that they found six people that did this, maybe they could also find people who did... Uh, uh, Danielle and Richard's uh, missing or death as well. It's weird for couples to go missing um, because everybody knows it's organized and it was done by a group of people. Um, I hope Danielle um, Embo and Richard Patron Jr. Um, are found um and my thing is this, because that was one of the things that was stated in the whole case, in the whole situation, was that they were hoping that they didn't leave and run away together and that they both left their children. Um, I hope that's not what happened, but that's also a possibility as well. 
Um, so yeah, with that being said, um, thank you guys for listening to my podcast. I don't have any theories on these situations. I'm trying, I don't understand why a group of people would kill a couple. And I don't understand why a couple will go missing. Um, I, I don't get it. It's sad. But these things happen. But thank you guys for listening to my podcast. This is my Mike Emporium. Tomorrow is somebody special's birthday. But I'm going to say tomorrow because it's tomorrow. But I heard you done star school, boo-boo. You done grew up so fast. You know, last time I saw you, you, you were two years old. Well, I'm lying. Last time I saw you was on what? It was, uh, was it Mother's Day? Mother's Day. I saw you on Mother's Day this year. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to say happy birthday to you. Um, tomorrow's case will be about the Dominican Republic murders. Girl, and I'm going to tell you a situation I had while I was at a hotel in downtown Atlanta. And it was something weird. Not the last time. The last time while I went to downtown Atlanta this year. Thought about this happened years ago when I was in downtown Atlanta. And I came back and I was feeling weird. And I was feeling sick. And I don't know why I was feeling sick. But it was very similar to the Dominican Republic murders cases. Um, So, that will be tomorrow's story. This will conclude the podcast. Thank you guys for listening to my podcast. This is My Mind Emporium. I am like Cell LT.